We're going to be in 1 Peter, the second half of 1 Peter chapter 1 today. And uh, for those of you who were here last week, we saw Peter commend this group of persecuted Christians for rejoicing in the midst of great suffering. But one of the themes that we noticed last week, and I shared with you, and I think we maybe even put it on the screen, and it's something that we can cling to from God's Word, is that no no matter how bad things get, we can be encouraged in Christ Jesus. No matter how bad things get, we can be encouraged in Christ Jesus. You know when it's the hardest to believe that? When things are as bad as they can get, right? When things are good, I love that verse. I can cling to that. I amen that. I will do that when the bad comes, right? Um, But when the rubber hits the road and we hit a trial or a hardship or a tough season, uh, it's tough. It's tough to trust. We've all been there. But one of the things that this, this entire book teaches us is that no matter how bad it gets in our personal lives, we can be encouraged in Christ Jesus. No matter how bad it gets around us, and you ever have some days where you feel like everything around you, it's about as bad as it can get at times. We can be, still be encouraged in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1.6, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... He's commending them for rejoicing. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Remember last week we said this little statement Peter made was probably the biggest understatement ever known to man because of what they were going through. Uh, During this time, uh, they were going through suffering hardship under a man named the Roman Emperor Nero. Uh, He was persecuting Christians. He wanted to wipe out the church. He wanted to wipe out this Jesus movement. And Christians were being scattered around what we know today is is modern-day Turkey. And when I say persecuted, they weren't just knocked on their door and said, you need to take off. Christians were beaten. They were tortured. They were burned to illuminate the night. Uh, They were thrown into packs of dogs in Colosseums as a sport uh, to bet on when they're going to die and when they're going to take their last breath. It was a horrific time to be a Christ follower in this day under Roman Emperor Nero. Because he would say, it's either you're following me, or you're dying. Those were your two choices. So families are packing up and leaving town and taking off. And in the midst of all of this, we just I'm so glad the songs we just shared today, uh, Peter is, is talking about what they have in Jesus. And I don't know how often, we sing a lot about what we have in Jesus, but this passage last week unpacked what we have in Jesus. Remember? He talks about that we have a new birth, that we're a new creation. We've been given a clean slate into a living hope, a living hope, the hope of heaven, the hope that this isn't it, that there's something more through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter was reminding this group, these persecuted Christians, as God's chosen, hey, keep, keep persevering, keep, keep, keep your eye on the prize, keep your eye on Jesus, because there's something greater that's coming. And because of what we are receiving and because of what we received on this earth, salvation through Jesus Christ, he says we should live differently because of that. In many of your Bibles, the title, I came up with a very creative title for this sermon, it's Be Holy, because that's what's in the Bible on this section is Be Holy. And he's going to talk about being holy, being set apart, living differently. The Greek word for holy is hagios, and it, uh, if you were to define it, it would be different, to be different. Uh, to be holy. Hagios means likeness of nature with the Lord. Uh, Hagios means different from the world. 
So often we can look a lot like the world and buy into a lot of what the world has to offer. Let's just open it up and read it. It's a lot of scripture, but it's healthy to read a lot of scripture. So we're going to do that. First uh, uh, Peter 1 uh, verses 13 through, through 25. All right, let's read it and then we'll make sense of it. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He's pointing to something greater that's coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The way that you lived before Jesus. Don't go back to those old ways. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's who God is. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Uh, We heard the same theme early on in this chapter. He talked about we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven when we come to Christ, right? And I lost my spot. There you go. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Uh, He was chosen before the creation uh, of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22. Now that you have, are purified, uh, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, uh, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply. Oh, you're going through a trial. You're going through a time. This is less than desirable. Love each other through it. Love each other deeply through it. From the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 6 through 8, Peter does. He says, For all the uh, people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. We're all seeing that happen at our houses. But the word of the Lord endures, the word of the Lord endures forever. If you were to say, sum it up, what's 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25? I just want the cliff note version. Give me a couple words. It would be, do not conform. Do not be like the world. Be set apart. Be different. Pursue holiness. Pursue likeness with Jesus. Your goal should not be to, to look more like the world, but your goal should be to look more like, to look more like Jesus, to pursue him, to please him in all that you do. So what's Peter telling us? Just because the world's doing it, you don't have to. Just because the world's saying it, you don't have to. Just because the world's engaging in it, you don't have to, right? Pursue holiness. Pursue to be set apart. Pursue to be different. And picture the audience. You've got to go back and picture the audience that Peter's writing to. They're going through chaos, right? I mean, imagine, I mentioned last week, you have to go home this afternoon, clean up just everything in your house, a couple things, and just run for the hills to save your life and your family. That's what they're going through. A horrible time. And in the midst of it, he says, pursue, pursue holiness. When is it the hardest to pursue holiness? When you're emotionally depleted, when you're spiritually depleted, when you're relationally depleted, when you're just walking through life a little bit sluggish because nothing's going right 
and you're in a trial and a hardship, some of your worst decisions, some of all of our worst decisions happen at moments where you were emotionally depleted, spiritually depleted, relationally depleted, so you needed the quick fix, right? Peter's saying, run from that. Run from that mindset. Run from that way of thinking. Pursue holiness through it all. Christians during this day, they were not debating policy. They were not debating who they were going to put in office. They weren't trying to figure out who could give them something to help their life be better. They had no political freedom. It was a political mess. You think that what we're experiencing now is a political mess, and it is. Uh, what they were experiencing was much greater, great, much greater. And Peter's theme in this is this. When things are out of control, look to the one that's in control, Right? When things are out of control in our life, what's the first thing we try to do? We tweak this, talk to this person, change this, I can fix this, right? And we try to take over control when things are out of control in our life. And Peter's saying, no, 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 pursue holiness. Be different. Hagios, don't be like the world. Pursue something greater than just you being in control. And when things are out of control in your life, I hope we all cling to this. Look to the one who is ultimately in control. Stop looking for the quick fix. Look to the one that spoke everything that you see or are a part of into existence. So Peter's message is, is God's in control. Don't be like the world, but be transformed from the inside out and be like Jesus, Jesus Christ. If you were again to sum up a little bit more of 1 Peter, you could say that that Peter gives us the standard. He gives us the benchmark of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. He doesn't lower the standard, but he raises the standard of who we're called to be. And the standard in 1 Peter is, is that we can pursue holiness. We're to pursue perfection. And on our own, church, we can't do it. We can never achieve it on our own. But we talked about last week because of his great mercy, because of his grace, that we can pursue, we can chase after, we can cling to being like Jesus and pursue holiness. That he didn't extend to us this great mercy and this great grace so that we could walk through our Christian life half-hearted and go through the, the, the motions of, of what it means to be a Christ follower. But he said, here's the standard. The standard is I want you to pursue perfection. Whew. That's a pretty big pursuit, right? I'm not sure that I can chase after that? And the answer is, that's right, you can't. Without Jesus' work on the cross for you and for me, Paul talked a little bit about it in Romans 6 when he thinks about this daunting task of being more like Jesus. Well, should we just keep going on sinning? He says, what shall we say then? Romans 6, 1 through 7. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should we just give a half-hearted effort should we go through the motions spiritually? Should we serve a God of grace and mercy. He's going to forgive me later, right? Paul says, by no means. Don't go down that path. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may be literally raised from the dead and live a new life. That's what Paul's talking about. For we, if, if we have been united with him in a death like the, his, we certainly also uh, be, will be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body 
was ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When we come to Christ, when we experience a new birth, uh, we've been given a clean slate. Uh, the, 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 the board has been wiped clean, if you will. And we've been given this new life in Christ Jesus. That the old is gone. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. And, and we can experience fullness and oneness and holiness with Christ Jesus. One of the things that often gets tossed around, and maybe you've been in one of these spiritual conversations. They don't end up being very spiritual. Uh, but a lot of times, people will fall to the pendulum of, 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 of this idea of grace and works. And they will fall to the pendulum of completely on one with forsaking the other or completely on works while forsaking, while forsaking grace. And maybe you've been in those conversations where it goes back and forth and the grace people said, well, Jesus extended grace to me. Uh, he's going to continue to extend grace to me. And they go way too far. It's, I can kind of live how I want, right? Because he's going to continue over and over and over to extend grace to me. I love grace. I love mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for it, right? And then the works people come along and, and say, well, no, Jesus died for me on the cross. I must do. I must work my way. They begin to get all of their outside appearance in order. And really on the inside, there's not a whole lot going on. And they can battle you all day long about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and the works you should do and the works you shouldn't do. And the grace people look at that and say, well, wait a minute. It's not anything about what you do. It's all about what Jesus already did for you. And then the works people come along and say, yeah, it's because of what he did for me. I, I must. And you fill in the blank with a laundry list of things. This grace and works. And, and there's never a middle of the road where they, where they kind of squish together and work together, as the Bible would point to. But we fall on one camp or the other. And it leads sometimes to a false understanding of, of what salvation, Jesus saves us, and sanctification where he makes us more like Jesus, and we miss it in both areas. Ephesians 2 speaks to this a tad. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. You did nothing to earn it. You didn't deserve it. It shouldn't have been coming to your way. But it's a gift from God. It's Jesus' gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not, I, I become saved, I experience grace, and now I coast. No, we have work to do in this Christian life. You're not going to fade into or, or just fall into holiness. There's a part for us to play. There's a pursuit for us, and we'll, we'll read a scripture to you a little bit later in 2 Corinthians, if you want to go find it, uh, verse seven, or chapter 7, verse, verse 1. And we see an extreme on both sides. And what I've watched in 2019 Christianity is, is there's a lot of people that kind of major on grace because we like that. Keep it coming. And they begin to underplay the works part. What I mean by that is we underplay the part we have in this process of becoming, of becoming holy. There's a part that we have to play. And I think we've missed it. Let me, let me say this. Holiness is still, and it always will be, the goal that our Father has for us, the pursuit that He has for us. Holiness is still, and it always will be. That will never fade away. That will never be a part, not, not a part of who we are as Christ followers. And First Peter makes a, a big statement on this, that, that we don't strive to be holy to be saved, 
we strive to be holy because we are saved. Because of what Jesus has done for us. His atoning work on the cross, his complete work on the cross, is why we pursue holiness, right? That's what Peter's getting at in this passage. One of the things I love about what Peter does in, in, uh, in 1 Peter 1, I wish you would have named it some, something else, because I say his name and then I say his book right after it, 1 Peter and his letter, 1 Peter 1. Uh, but he doesn't, he, the, the bar is not lowered. The bar is not lowered at all. That there's a standard that, that, that's, that's made. Peter makes that standard known, and, and, and he doesn't lower it. And what he reminds us of is that standard stays put, and while we can never get over it on our own, we have a Savior that, that almost helps lifts us up and over this bar, this standard, so that we can pursue it, so that we can live it. And that's what grace is, church. That's what grace looks like. That he comes alongside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit in this sanctification process of growing to be more like Jesus. And he works with us on this process. We're called, if you miss anything and everything today, for 1 Peter 1, 13-25, you and I are called to be holy. To be set apart. To be different. And if we could have done it on our own, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. But it is as clear as day that we need Jesus in this process, that we need Jesus. And while perfection and, and pursuing holiness will, will probably never be perfect on this side of heaven, uh, Paul would let us know, and many areas in Scripture would let us know, it is worth our full pursuit. And we see that in, in Philippians 3, a book we worked through a while back, chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. says, I want to know Christ... This is Paul speaking. I hope this is our words as well. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I've already attained it or that I've already become perfect. I have not arrived, if you will. And Paul was a spiritual giant, but he knew he had a long way to go. He was continuing to be formed and made in the image of Jesus. But I press on, he says. I haven't arrived, but I press on so that I may lay hold to that for which also I laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Pursuing God's holiness can radically change your life. You won't be the same if you continue to that pursuit. Your life will be, will be changed. And it will take us so much further than kind of measuring our life up to somebody else's life. Instead, we look to the standard, uh, we look to the benchmark, we look to the one that, that can take us there, we look to Jesus as our standard. Think of all the ridiculous standards we've made as humans throughout the years. I mean, we, we often will look, especially in church, Christian, we'll look at somebody else's spiritual life and think, well, they're actually about six steps behind me, so I'm pretty holy, and I've arrived at some level, right? I don't do what they say, uh, I, I don't... I don't talk, certainly, how they talk to people. I carry myself in a different way. And we will, we will make our standard just by what we see around us instead of our standard being the one true God that deserves our attention and deserves our pursuit of holiness. Here's the hard part. The standard is perfection. And it's what you and I are called to. First Peter, one of the things I like that he does, he doesn't he doesn't just give us the goal of perfection and holiness. Uh, he gives us some handlebars to grab a hold of 
and some of the motivations for why we should choose to, to, to pursue holiness and to pursue perfection. And I want to share those with you. One of them is found in, in, verse, in verse 13. A lot of us have goals. You may have goals at work or goals in your family or just personal goals for this year that you have. Um, but if you don't have a great motivation, if you don't have a, a big why behind why you're chasing after those goals, they can often fall flat. And we probably all had goals where that's taken place. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. One of the great motivators that Peter shares with these persecuted Christians that are being scattered, one of the great motivators of pursuing holiness, of pursuing perfection, is that Jesus is coming back. That there's a hope of heaven. That there's, there's more than just the chaos that you're experiencing right now, the trials, the hardships, the brokenness. Keep your eyes up. There's something more to come. Uh, we have a, in what we, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we have what we call the fourfold gospel. Uh, and Jesus is the focus point of each point. And it's this, that Jesus is our Savior. Uh, we know that. We believe that. Jesus is our sanctifier. He makes us more like himself. Uh, Jesus is our healer. He wasn't just a healer back then. He can still heal, heal today, spiritually, physically. And the last one is that Jesus is our coming king. That there is going to be a day that Jesus is going to return for his bride, for his church. And we don't know the day or the hour. Matthew 24 mentions that. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, Jesus, uh, but the Father's only. So when somebody, you watch some crazy guy on TV and they know the date. How many times in our lifetime have we heard somebody knew the date that Jesus was going to return? Say, well, you know more than Jesus because it says in the Bible, he doesn't even know the day or the hour, only the Father, right? And, uh, and then in Matthew 24, 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And that's what we're about as an alliance movement is sending people out. Because we want the gospel preached to all the nations because we want Jesus to come back and to return. Peter's pointing these persecuted Christians that are experiencing probably anything but hope to the hope of heaven. And he's saying, as we read from Paul and other books, that we need to keep our mind set on the things of heaven. You need to keep your heart set on the things of heaven. When you're going through a trial or a hardship or just suffering and you don't see any end in sight, there's something about fixing our mind and our heart on the things of heaven that helps put that in perspective. Last week, we mentioned that if we were to put all of our trials and hardships and throw them in a big bucket up here in the front of the room, it'd probably be overflowing just because of the ones going on in this room. And then we looked at them in light of all of eternity, this little speck of eternity. We would notice, and I don't want to minimize anybody's tough season, that they're all momentary. That they're, that they're going to be gone. That Jesus is going to make all things right, all things good. So Peter's letting them know we wait, we anticipate, we, 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 we long for Jesus to return for his church. So set your mind on that. So he gives us a motivation for pursuing holiness, for pursuing uh, to be like Jesus. And it's, it's that of the hope of heaven. But then he also shares another reason that we need to pursue holiness. There's a part we have to play in this, and it's that of, of punishment, of consequence, that, that we serve a, a God that, that, yes, he's a God of grace, a God of, of mercy, but, but he's a God of judgment as well. 
And he will judge the, the living and the dead. And, and it says in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 17, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you lived apart from Jesus. And you were just living it up, right? Just doing whatever you wanted to do and, 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 and just feeling good in the moment. And, and relationships were messed up, but you didn't care because it was living it up. He says, don't go back there. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. That's a call of God on our lives. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each, per, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. He's saying Christ followers, persecuted Christ followers. We ought not live the same way as when we, before we came to Jesus Christ. We ought not go back to the same old habits to the same old things before we came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Guard against it. Guard against going back to the old ways. There's punishment. There's judgment coming for that. And Peter is reminding them of this, this great motivation. Hey, pursue holiness. Pursue to be like-minded with Jesus. Pursue what it means to be set apart. Peter makes it very clear that in this life and on this journey... Uh, that there's consequences at times for, for our actions. And if there's one theme that's ever true in Scripture, it's this, is that we ought to live in, in a holy, in a healthy fear of a holy God. We don't often talk about that. We like to talk about the grace of God and the mercy of God, but we, we ought to live in a, in a holy fear to this holy God. And while Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, took away any eternal consequences, we know that. Uh, there's still consequences and punishment that we experience on this earth because of sin or wrong motives or brokenness in our own lives. We serve a God that loves us too much. He's too good of a dad to allow us to keep jumping into the same old things and ruining not only our lives but the people's lives around us. Uh, that there's times that we get the, the heavenly paddle if you will. And some of you have maybe had an earthly father that you would experience something like this. Uh, that yes, your dad was patient with you, your dad was kind, your dad worked with you, but when you crossed the line, uh, there was the discipline of dad that came out. And you didn't like it, uh, you didn't want it, uh, but it was in your best interest. And now you look back on your life and you would say, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, my parents are actually here in the front row, and believe it or not, every single time, uh, that they had to bring the discipline uh, because of my poor choices. Believe it or not, I deserved it 100% of the time. I don't know if you knew that. 100% of the time. And I'm thankful for their discipline and thankful for their guiding and, and, and moms as well. But that's the way our God, he, he, he works with us. That he, wants us to, he wants to teach us. He wants to refine us. He wants to grow us. And we serve a heavenly Father that's patient with us. How many of you are thankful for the patience of God in your life? All of us. Because we don't deserve that. And that's what Peter's getting to. To live in a healthy, holy fear of this holy God. It's a deep reverence. It's a respect. It's walking through, through, through this life knowing that he is God. And I don't want to cross the lines, cross the lines that in, the guard, in, the, in the guardrails that he's created for us in Scripture. Because he has our best interest in heart. If there's one thing that I would want my boys to have as they grow up, it'd be a healthy, holy fear of God. It'd be a healthy, holy fear of God as they're making choices and as they're, living, as they're living their life. So we see that Peter talks about not only 
the hope of heaven. There's hope. But then there's also this holy fear. And believe it or not, we need both. And we need to live in that tension of both all the time. And that's what Peter's calling these persecuted Christians to, and it's what he's calling us to. I know all of us in here would like to think, uh, man, I love Jesus so much that I don't need consequences along the way, you know, as I keep following him. Uh, but the truth is we do. If New Center 7 came on today and said, hey, next week, uh, all cops are going to be done patrolling on the road, and there'll be no cops out on the roads. How many of you would push the gas pedal down just a tad bit harder as you're going to work tomorrow and this next week? All of us, right? We need guardrails. We need barriers. We need to know that, that there's a, that maybe a healthy or a holy fear that, hey, I don't want a ticket. I want to abide by the laws of the land. We need it. So we don't jump into terrible choices. If we didn't have God's guardrails and guidelines for holy living, you and I would be in the worst shape possible. And we would find ourselves in terrible circumstances. We serve a God that sees our whole life. There's nothing in your life that you're like hiding behind the closet door. There's nothing you're thinking that he doesn't know you're thinking. So in all of that, we should pursue holiness. We should pursue what it means to be like-minded with Jesus. Let me close with verse 17. Time is it. Oh, we got time to share it. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, he says, live out your time as foreigners here. You're citizens of heaven, not citizens of this world. In reverent fear. There's that holy fear word. And then Peter says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. He's pointing to, it's not, it's not your wealth. It's not your education. It's not where you live. It's not any status thing you may have has nothing to do with any of that, but here's what it has to do with. It has to do with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God." Church, if you miss the other two motivators, here's the greatest motivation. For you pursuing holiness and for you pursuing a life, hagios, that's, that's set apart, that's different. And that great motivation should be because of what the one that did for you on the cross. The cost of what it cost him on the cross for you and for me. It's the greatest motivation ever for us to pursue holiness because of it because of the precious blood of Christ. Uh, while grace is free, it's free to all of you. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to you know, do anything to, to get it besides put your trust in Jesus Christ. It wasn't free to Jesus. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. It cost him to become one of us and to go to the cross for you and for me. He gave us life because of what he did on the cross. And as we close out today, I want you to think about God, where, Holy Spirit, where are you nudging me to pursue holiness in my life? Uh, while the bar, the standards here, I've, I've put some standards and some of the bars down here. So the question is, what, what standard, what, what standards are, are, are you using for making decisions in your life? Monday comes, you're going to make a lot of decisions. You'll make a bunch today. You'll make a bunch Tuesday, all week long. What standards are you making those decisions? By your own logic, your own common sense? Or is it through the grid of God's Word? What standards are, are, are you using for how you treat and love people? 
by what you see the next person doing to the next person or by what Jesus did on your behalf. Sacrificial, loving. Peter talked to love one another deeply. What standard are you using for your life for generosity? What standard are you living by for using your gifts and serving in the local church? Is it the standard of the world or is it God's standard? Imagine Peter's audience running for their lives and in the midst of that, he's shouting from the, the megaphone, whatever it may be, pursue holiness. Oh, life stinks all around you. Don't live by the world's standards. Don't live by Emperor Nero's standards. Live by the standards of God's holy, holy word. I close with this quote. Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth and not prosperity in this world, all of which we raise to the highest esteem in our culture. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ. And he is more than enough for us. Try to picture all of those in 1 Peter that were running for their lives. They're in heaven today because they risk it all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think they would shout down from heaven to you and to me today, keep fighting, keep persevering, don't give in, don't lower the standards, don't lower the bar, pursue holiness. Oh, we went through the ringer for this momentary time, but let me remind you that it's all worth it. Keep your heart, keep your mind fixed on that of heaven. And Peter encourages his audience years ago, and he encourages us here today. In view of the cross, in view of what Jesus did on the cross for us, in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do this. And he says, live out your time as foreigners, as citizens of heaven, and do so with a holy fear. Also do so with the living hope that there's something greater to come. Powerful passage in 1 Peter 3, or 1, 13 through 25. Let me pray. God, you are so good. Thank you for this passage in 1 Peter to write a letter to Christians that are just going through the extreme of tough times. But God, the way I've watched you work the most, the way I've seen you draw people together the most is through hardship, is through crisis, is through tough time. Maybe the most spiritual awakened time as a country we experienced was some 18, 19 years ago with 9-11, maybe one of the most experiences of community that we felt in Dayton and greater Dayton was when we experienced the tornadoes, great hardship and the shooting that took place a month or two ago. God, through hardship, through suffering, you tell us to rejoice in you alone and you tell us to pursue holiness in the midst of it all. While it's easier said than done, I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit as a helper so that we can figure this out on this journey of life. And God, we praise your name for all the ways you're going to work. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.